what's cooking up in the kitchen? Am I smelling that soul food? Oh yes, it is soul food. The spiritual food for your spiritual nourishment. And you know what? This food will never expire. Never expire? I need this food every day. You are listening to these spiritual-based podcasts. There are many podcasts, but this one here is to satisfy your soul, to feed your spiritual hunger. Are you hungry for God? Don't let your soul be hungry. No matter where you are, whatever you are doing now, at work, home, or on the go, you can still listen here and right now the uh, Soul Food Podcast. Don't let ever your soul to go hungry. It's time for some Soul Food. And in the quiet pride of my father's eyes, I remember who I am. And when I feel the warmth of my father's smile, feels like Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, capital letter, Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is to be born again? New birth, born of water and born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Lord, I am old. Should I go back to my mom's womb? And the Lord said, Jesus said, No, Nicodemus, though you are religious, you don't know anything. What do you need to do, Nicodemus? You need to be baptized in water. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. I have my flesh and I have my spirit. Here I am. I am you. If my flesh is strong... is up, my spirit is down. If my spirit is strong, is up, my flesh is down. Now look here, please. When I talk about flesh, I'm not talking about your bones and flesh. I'm talking about your desires. I'm talking about your impulses. I'm talking about your feelings. I'm talking about your, the sinful nature. This is the flesh. I'm talking about your tongue. I'm talking about your thoughts. I'm talking about your actions and your reactions. They are your flesh. When I talk about the spirit, I'm not talking about religious stuff or church. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. How do I feed the flesh? How do I feed my flesh? How? 
prostitution, fornication, lies, corruption, and my spiritual life goes down. It's for us to put our flesh, our desires down and enrich our spiritual life. How do I do that? When I read the Bible, when I pray more, if I ask here who prays, everybody does, but we need to pray more. Read the Bible. These are the things that feeds, feeds the spirit. Things that brings you closer to God. Now let me talk about the body. The body dies, decays, rottens, becomes dust. But when you are in spirit, the Holy Spirit saves the soul you have inside of the body. Feels like I've been born again. I've been born again. I've been born again. Stay connected here on Soul Food because today we will be sharing part three of Reynard's story. before Christ was full of a lot of anxiety, stress, comparison. I compare myself to people all the time. Because in the neighborhood that I grew up in, you have status. It's status everywhere. You got people that's popular. You have people that's getting money. You have your athletes. You have status all around you. So comparing yourself is easy and simple. Like, that's what you do. And you try to be better or, you know, hang around people that's doing good. So my life without Christ, I dealt with a lot of comparison. Not content with who I was. Didn't even know who I was. But in Christ now, finding him or him finding me that day, like knowing where I was and revealing himself to me, it's like if God himself accepts me and wants me, like right now, you want to do life with me. You want me to be yours, like right now. It threw comparison out the window. Because what do I have to compare myself to any anybody now for when God himself says he accepts me? Now, the acceptance part. I struggle with that even in Christ. The comparison, I didn't compare myself. But the acceptance, man, the enemy came at me hard with that. He literally 
Now I know I look back, I knew it was him. He literally would plant thoughts to say that, yeah, you saved, but you still gonna die. Like your life isn't gonna be in anything. Like you're still gonna die. God just saved you so that way you can just die and go to heaven. Like you're not gonna live long. You're not gonna have a blessed life. You still have to pay for what you did. That shame, that guilt, and that condemnation came like a flood immediately after salvation because I started thinking about all the things that I've done and the thing that had me in prison. So I'm still in prison <laughs> and I'm still facing this charge. And now I have Jesus. So I have to face what I did with Jesus. And I struggled. I struggled with believing that his acceptance was like complete. I struggled with believing that all of the emotions of guilt and shame weren't real because it felt real. Those feelings felt like God loves you, but you gotta still pay. And I lived with that almost my entire time in jail. I thought that God saved me, but he still needed to exact some type of restitution from my life. And I couldn't live free. I couldn't live free in him. I would be serving God, praising God, loving on God, loving people, being a witness for him, and then go in my cell and beat myself up and bang myself over the head like with a hammer, like an like a, a invisible hammer, just tearing my thoughts up. I knew his love was real because in my heart, and it's like the same moment that happened, I lived that moment every day. I can feel his presence with me. I knew he was with me. But when it came to my thoughts that I was thinking, it wasn't like correlating. I, it's like I knew, but my thoughts were saying something different. I knew he forgave me, but my mind was telling me that, no, you have to pay. I knew that he still wanted to use me, but then my thoughts was like, only to a certain limit because nobody like you can't fully be used. And it literally like tortured me to the point where it even was messing up my physical body. I was under so much shame and guilt that my body started reacting to it. I would wake up with pains in my body out of nowhere, went to the prison hospital, got x-rays done, they couldn't find anything. It would be so bad that my entire skeleton from like my face to my shoulders, my arms, fingers, legs, knees, shins, toes were in pain. I couldn't even walk around the jail. I couldn't go out to eat sometimes. I had to stay in my bed. I had to get my cell, my cellmate to sneak me back food from the child hall because I was in too, too much pain to walk. And when you injure yourself in prison, that's, that's not a good thing because it's people who prey on like, like people who injured. You got people who are on drugs in jail. You got people who are in gangs and they look for people that's weak that they can pray on. So if you're injured, they don't care if you're a Christian. They don't care if you preaching in the church or in the, in the church in the jail, they don't care. Because if they're in a gang or if they're on drugs, they need to even get their fix, pay back somebody or do what they have to do for their gang and they're gonna choose the easiest target. So if I'm walking around limping, and on crutches, then they can easily take advantage of that. So I wasn't going out to eat sometimes because I didn't want to be a prey to that. My body would be, I would literally have to cry myself to sleep. So much pain, I'm crying out to God. Like if you save me, why am I going through this? If you actually do love me like you say you do, why isn't this going away? Like I was remembering, cause I'm reading the word of course, 
getting in my Bible. Certain things was coming to my mind that I'm asking God about. Like when he told Paul how many things he'll have to suffer for his name. So I was like, am I suffering for your name? Like, is this what it means to suffer for your name? God wasn't answering. He was quiet. So here I am, still got this charge. I'm telling people all about Jesus, but yet I'm going through this in my body, and God isn't answering me. I don't hear his voice anymore like he spoke before. I'm thinking he left. Because in my mind, I computed, if something's happening to you, then I mean, God has done it, and he's not there. Like, if it's not being fixed, then he's not there. Like, I computed, if something's bad happening or something wrong is happening, then God is off doing something else, and he allowed it to happen, and he don't want no parts of it. That's what I thought, because I still didn't have any enough experience with him. Like, he was teaching me at the time. So I was complaining. <laughs> I was complaining to God, crying, fussing. I probably called him some names. I was still growing him up. I probably said some things to God that, <laughs> and I can't remember one time where he spoke back. It was quiet. I wasn't used to that. I was used to him. Good morning, how you doing? <laughs> and talking to me, and we talking back. I'm reading the word, and he's speaking, revelating me. To now, going through this, I don't hear nothing. I do realize something that was happening, though. Without him speaking, I realized that I was still able to have faith. Because I was looking back, and I was even questioning myself one time. Man, this is, it's like I'm reliving it, right? I can, I can feel the emotion of it. I was asking myself, why you even, why haven't you stopped? I was asking myself that, like, if you're upset with God and God is seemingly, like, has left, he saved you and he gone. He saved you and, you know, he's on to the next person to say, why, you, why haven't you stopped going so hard for him? I was asking myself that, why are you still fasting and praying and worshiping God and preaching and ministering and leading people to Christ? Why are you still going so hard? And I realized that in those moments when he wasn't speaking, it was, like, strangely taking me down deeper in love with him because I realized that in those moments when I hear his voice, it's fun, it's exciting, it brings joy. But then in times when he wasn't speaking, I was really seeing what I was made of in him, if I'm really doing this for him. And I was able to know that I'm doing it for him. And it wasn't just a moment that happened and I'm just super excited and living on this euphoria and this high, because right now I'm going through it. And even to this day, I still have those same complications in my body. The pain of it isn't there, but I still have it in my body. It's gotten better since then, but it's still there. And fast forward, when it was time to face the judge for my charge, I remember being in a behind the courtroom in the bullpen, right? They call it a bullpen because it's like, that's not the actual name of it, but think about it, bulls. Like they're in this pen and they're all in there together, right? And it's like they're all waiting to be released. So they call it a bullpen because it's a bunch of animals, right? And, and people that are so-called vicious in one space waiting to be released. So I was in the bullpen and I was like, God, whatever's, ha whatever's gonna happen today, I just give you the rights to do it. I didn't wanna lie about what happened. I was at the point in my walk where I wasn't gonna lie. I wasn't gonna make up some story and say, self you know, a whole bunch of stuff. I told God that whatever I have to say, I'm just gonna tell the truth. And whatever your decision is, God, I'm, I'm good with that. And I got sentenced to 20 years. 
I come out of the courtroom. I say my little spiel with the judge because they ask you, you know, do you have anything to say after they sentence you? I say my spiel. I go back to the, to the jail. There was a pastor that was incarcerated. I know, right? A pastor being incarcerated. And when he saw me come back, he knew I went to court. When he saw me come back, he asked me, he was like, how much time did you get? How much? Because everybody at that time knew me for serving the Lord, right? They knew me for praising God. They knew me for being a witness for Jesus, even around the whole entire jail. So this pastor, he was on a whole nother tier and he knew of me. So he said, what happened? And I told him, I said, I took 20 years. I took a plea deal. That's what I feel like God had told me to do. And he was like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. I said, because I was talking to my lawyer on the phone and he asked me, like, did I want to take this plea deal or go to trial? At first, I told him I wanted to go to trial because I said, I've been preaching and teaching the gospel to people for all these months. Now it's time for me to show the faith, to show that I believe God. And for me, doing that was going to trial. But for some strange reason, my lawyer, he wasn't feeling that decision. He said, Man, you can't go to trial. You can't go to trial. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are you saying that? He was like, please, you just cannot. You need to take this plea deal. You cannot go to trial. Now, it was weird because lawyers, they don't get involved like that. They don't give their opinion, their personal opinion. So with that, he's putting himself on the line for giving a personal opinion. But it was, I guess it was something in him trying to convince me. I don't know if God was using him or not at the time. He wasn't a Christian. But what he said to me, he was like, man, you've been such a witness to my life. He said, I don't even pay nobody no attention when they tell me they gave their life to God. They're living for God. They're reading their Bible. He said, I don't pay no mind. He said, Cause you, can you imagine how many people I, I serve who say that? He was like, but it's something different about you. And in my heart right now, I feel led to tell you that. So I was like, I don't know. So I had my mom on the phone and, she, and I said, mom, what you think? She said, whatever you feel like God is telling you, son, I stand by you. And she told the lawyer that. The lawyer went so far to say, call his dad. And I'm like, wait, something is happening on his phone. <laughs> this lawyer is risking everything to convince me. Like, and I, and I felt like it didn't have to do with money. It didn't have to do with anything. I just felt like something is up. I need to be paying attention to what he's saying. But I just said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to trial, man. I'm trusting God. Whatever God gonna do, he gonna do it this way. I hang the phone up, I run in my cell, I lay down on the floor and I started crying. And he told Abraham, he said, now I know you trust me. And those words rang in my head, now I know you trust me. So I said, I ran back to the phone so fast. I was like, I was like, mom, call the lawyer back. I know what God want me to do exactly. And she was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But call him back now. <laughs> she called him back. No answer. I'm like, oh my gosh. Call him. Call him again. No answer. I'm like, oh my gosh. Call, mom. Please call back. Try again. Try again. Call back. He answered. He was like, Mr. Duggan? I was like, yes, yes, yes. He was like, man, I'm, I'm walking out my office right now. I'm like, listen, I know exactly what I want to do. I heard from God. I said, I'm not going to trial. I'm taking a plea deal to 20 years. He was like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm positive. I heard God. So he was like, okay, praise God. So then, boom, he was so happy. So I told the pastor that that asked me, right, why I took the plea deal. And I was, and that's, that's why. So he was like, oh, man. He was like, no, man, not you. 
you can't do 20 years, man, not you. And in my mind, I'm like, I ain't nobody special, man. You know, I'm like, whatever God got, this is what he got. So I went back and I got sentenced to 20 years. The day comes when I have to go and where I'm going to spend my time. And there's a lady walking with me. She has my paperwork in her hand and she looks at me and she looks at the paperwork. She looks at me and she looks at the paperwork with this strange face. She shook her head, sucked her teeth, smacked her teeth. She said, y'all kids just don't respect life. And I just didn't say anything, just kept walking. Thought it was kind of rude for her to just blurt out, but I mean, I know my charge. I know what I was, you know, guilty of. So I just took it. And then she say, why you don't have a lot of time if you took somebody's life? What you told on somebody? Did you snitch? Like she was really rude. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean a lot of time? I said, 20 years is a lot of time. She said, you don't have 20 years. She said, you don't know how much time you got? I'm like, yeah, 20 years. And she said, I can't show you, but it don't say that on here. And I said, you gonna have to show me if something else say, if it say something else on that paper. So she took the paper because it has everybody, it has their name and their charge and all of that stuff on it. She took the paper. My name was like, maybe like this far from the sheet. She folded it this way. Then she took the bottom half and folded it this way. So it could just show my name. It said Raynard Duggar. It said my charge, first degree murder. And then in the last right hand corner, it said one zero YRS. So I was like, hmm. I just kept it to myself. I leave that jail. I go to, um, because that was the processing center. I leave the processing center. I go to where I'm actually gonna do my time and I see my case manager. My case manager was a Christian too. It was finally a blessing to talk to somebody in the system that's a believer. So we were fellowshipping in God and she's at the computer. She's saying, okay, I have to send you somewhere because you have a charge, like a violent charge and a murder. She said, I wanna send you to a maximum security, like a super max. She said, but you don't have a lot of time. So she look around the computer and I look at her around the computer. I'm like, what do you, what do you see? And she said, well, you have a murder charge, but you only have 10 years. And I'm like, so it said it on her paper back at the other jail and it says it in her system here. I said, how far did your computer go back? She said, well, it's backdated, you know, to the, the day you got sentenced. And I'm like, it says 10 years? She said, yeah. I have my papers from the actual day because when you get sentenced in any courtroom, you have to sign the paper in the building that day at, in front of the judge that you receive your sentence, that you agree to it. You have to sign it yourself right there. I have my papers on me and I showed her. And she said, well, there's nothing I can do. I said, so you can't go in and change nothing? She was like, no, that's illegal. <laughs> I'm literally trying to get her to like <laughs> do something because in my mind, I'm like, if this is a mistake, I don't want to be living in this false hope. So I would rather face the reality, right? Than to live in this false hope. So I'm like, do something. She was like, maybe your printout is a typo. She said, because in the system, what's here is what was typed in the system that day. 
But I'm like, but it printed out this. <laughs> so this was typed out. And we just started praising God. We just left it alone. We just started praising God. Now um, she sent me to a prison. I went to a, a medium maximum security instead of a super max. A medium maximum security is people who have violent charges but not that much time. So I went there, and now I'm seeing my personal case manager. So I'm like, all right, if it say this in her system, Lord, man. So I go see her. No, it was a guy. I go see him, and it's the same thing. So I'm pondering on it, and I'm like, the man said, the preacher said, God told me to tell you only gonna do 10 years. So now I have this sentence that I'm, that's calculated from the system that says a 10 year sentence. When I know that I got 20 years, I couldn't even enjoy the blessing though. Because again, here's the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, stirring back up. God blessing me again. And I'm thinking about what I did. He's showing that he's good still. And all I can think about is I don't deserve it. And this is going to catch up to me. I'm not thinking that God is being faithful to his word. I'm not thinking that he's showing the love that he promised to show me. I'm not thinking that all of the things that God is doing through my life, that he's rewarded me. I'm not thinking about none of that. I'm thinking about this can't last because somebody like me don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be blessed in this manner. You have to still pay for what you've done. I lived in fear of it catching back up to me. Anytime they called my name for like mail, <laughs> I thought they was bringing me back to court to say, hey, we need to change something. We made a mistake. So when I got sentenced to 20 years, my lawyer told me that he was gonna bring me back in about six years, seven years to retry my case, to see if I can get time off my sentence. I live with the fear of that. If my lawyer was to call me, then they'll realize that my sentence is, is not 20 years, it's only 10 years. And they may feel some type of way and say, oh no, we're not giving him any time off his sentence. And then the thing that I fear came upon me. That's all for part three of Reinhardt's story. Stay tuned next week for more. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave your reviews, comments, and share with friends and family. Thank you for listening in. That's all the soul food we have to share today. 
Stay tuned for the next episode on Soul Food and keep your notifications on. Share this episode with your friends and family to feed their souls. Give the food that lasts forever. Thank you.